The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Our scripture this morning is going to be Leviticus chapters 12 through 15. So if you can please turn in your copy of scripture to Leviticus 12. If you are using the pew Bibles in front of you and the seats in front of you, it starts on page 84. We are not going to be reading the chapters in their entirety, but rather in order to understand the contents, we're going to pick a few passages. And so I'll pause in between and let you know where we're going next. But we're going to begin in Leviticus 12, verse 1 through 5. Please stand for the reading of God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruation she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for thirty-three days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary, until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. Then please move to Leviticus 13, verses 1 through 3. Leviticus 13. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of of his sons, the priests. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. Please skip ahead to verses 45 through 46, still in chapter 13, verse 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Please skip ahead to chapter 14. We'll be reading verses 1 through 9, Leviticus 14, 1 through 9. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then, if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live, clean birds, and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. 
And after that, he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day, he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. And then finally, we're going to read verses from chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Leviticus 15, verse 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of his uncleanness for a discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Move ahead to verse 19. Still in chapter 15, verse 19. When a woman has a discharge, and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And finally, verse 31, Leviticus 15, 31 to close. Thus, you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness, by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Word of the Lord, yes? Childbirth, skin disease, and bodily discharge. Oh my, right? If you're visiting today, you might be second-guessing that decision. Um... But as you will see, uh, there is some positively glorious gospel truth buried here in Leviticus 12 through 15. And I would argue it's not even buried. It's lying on the surface of this text for any and all to come and glean. Our sermon title this morning is going to be simply titled this, Cleansing for the Unclean cleansing for the unclean. This is what you see is the general gist of chapters like the chapters that were read for you, chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15, is talking about how those who are unclean can be cleansed. The main idea that we're going to see from these chapters this morning comes down to this, that we must turn to God for the cleansing we need. We must turn to God for the cleansing we need. Why? Because our uncleanness separates us from our God. Because our uncleanness separates us, we need someone to reconcile us, and these chapters show us that the reconciler is God himself. This is why we must turn to him for the cleansing that we need. I'm going to pause, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the text before us to see specifically concentrating on chapters 13 and 14 what we can learn about the good news of our Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ from a text such as this. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we recognize that you are the source of the words before us this morning. These are not the thoughts of men. This is the heart of our Lord, our living God, the God of Jacob, who is our fortress, our refuge, our strength, our Savior. The Lord is our salvation, and we see salvation 
and what it looks like here in this text. So I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would move through the preaching of your word in such a way that it would magnify the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior we need by looking at the law of God as it relates to cleansing for the unclean. Come, Lord Jesus, inhabit the preaching of your word. Make it so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart that are about to be preached would be pleasing to you, would land on us in such a way that we would leave here changed this morning because the Holy Spirit took God's word, pierced our hearts, changed us, and drew us to look unto Christ. Lord, we pray these things for your sake, for your fame, and for your name. Amen. Well, I, I tried to warn you a little bit on Slack to go and read ahead and read these chapters of Leviticus 12 through 15. And if you were able to do that, then you will see that we are wading into some very interesting waters here with these chapters. But while these chapters might have some of the more gross parts of the Bible, there is actually something quite beautiful going on in Leviticus 12 through 15. For Yahweh to speak to his people and to say the words that he says to them that, that we have before us recorded in these four chapters, what Yahweh is doing is he is showing how all of life, and I mean all of life, is an opportunity for us to obey the command to be holy as our God is holy. Holiness and our pursuit of holiness is not just a Sunday morning issue. Far too often we relegate this idea of holiness to the two hours on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning is sacred. The next six days and 22 hours are the secular. Holiness is not for there. Holiness is for right here. But Leviticus 12, 13, 14, 15 are doing its best to disabuse us of that notion. From food that is eaten, which is what we saw last week when Chance preached out of Leviticus 11, to the stuff that comes out of our bodies that we read about just a few minutes ago, from marital sex to the birthing ward, whether it's menstrual cycles, mold, or mildew. These chapters tell us that the law of God was given to God's people so that whether they ate or drank or whatever they did, they could then do it all to the glory of God. Remember, God has promised something to his people. He has promised something to Israel. God promised to be with them. God promised to live with them and to walk among them. He promised that he would be their God and he promised that they would be his people. Therefore, God's people had a responsibility in light of those promises. And that responsibility is really what you see in the book of Leviticus. It was the responsibility to purify themselves from everything that might contaminate them, that might make them unclean before a pure and holy God. And what we're going to see this morning is that this cleanliness idea was not just merely relegated to the physical 
parts of us, our bodies, but it was especially true of us spiritually. Cleanliness and how it relates to a holy and pure God is both physical and especially spiritual. You see, just as Yahweh is holy, just as he is pure, you could say just as he is clean, no spot or stain of sin, the scriptures tell us that God's people are to be the same. Thus, Israel needed to learn these distinctions. Israel needed to learn this is what makes you clean and this is what makes you unclean so that they could learn to obey God and walk in holiness as our God is holy. These laws were given because God's people needed to learn how to distinguish between clean and unclean, holy and unholy, pure and impure. These men and women needed to know what made them unclean before a holy God because these same scriptures explain to us that when we are unclean, impure, walking in unholiness, that separates us from God. And what we need to know is that we were not designed to be separated from our Creator. We were designed to be in intimate union with him, communion with him, walking with him. As he says, he being our God, we being his people. That is what it means to be someone who truly knows God in a saving way. Not separated because of impurity and sin and uncleanness, but reconciled because you have truly been cleansed. Our Holy God knows that our uncleanness separates us from Him. Thus, the beauty of chapters like Leviticus 12, 13, 14, and 15. God in His grace, God in His kindness is saying to you and to me, you were not designed to be separated from me. You were not designed to be separated from me. You were designed to be intimately in union and communion with me. So I'm going to show you what makes you unclean so that you can come to me and find the cleansing you need so that you're not separated but reconciled to me. Is that not grace upon grace? Now all of a sudden, the gross parts of the Bible are maybe a little less gross, yeah? These chapters are nothing but grace upon grace. Yahweh making clear that while our uncleanness separates us from Him, what we need to know is that it is entirely possible to find the cleansing we need. These chapters promise that there is cleansing for the unclean. And this is good news, amen? Because the man in the mirror, when I get up in the morning, knows this. The dark corners of my heart need cleansing. 
on the day that I was first saved, when God caused me to be born again, one of the ways the Bible would speak is this. You were opened up to see you are a sinner stained with sin, and you need to have that sin washed and cleansed away. And what chapters like the chapters before us are saying is, listen, good news promise, gospel promise, there is cleansing for the unclean. And it's not just a salvation issue, but it's an everyday issue. As we come to the Lord Jesus, continually bringing our hearts before him, the gospel detergent of Christ himself is the powerful scrubbing agent that washes us clean, not only the day that we're first saved, but every single day afterwards. And what we need to see is that when we work through these verses before us, this is not just physical cleansing merely, That's being talked about. That is what's in front of us. But we also need to know that there is the promise of cleansing for the unclean in the sense that the deep-seated spiritual cleansing found in Jesus that these chapters are ultimately going to point to. Like Chance said last week, when we were working through Leviticus chapter 11, each of these chapters give us an object lesson. God is using real-world physical stuff to teach us deep-seated spiritual truths pointing to our need for a Savior. And the two chapters that we're going to zoom in on out of the ones that we read this morning are chapters 13 and 14, the two chapters that specifically relate to skin disease, to the idea of leprosy, as we're going to read here in these verses. The laws about leprosy were designed to do something. And they were designed to help sinners see point number one, that my spiritual uncleanness separates me from God. If you want to take all of chapter 13 and sum it up into one point, that would be it up on the screen. My spiritual uncleanness separates me from God. Open up your copy of Scripture. Look at chapter 13. Look starting in verse 1. The Lord, Yahweh, spoke to Moses. That's grace. Spoke to Aaron. And this is what he said. When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of the body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons, the priest's, The priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of the body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. Then scan down to verses 45 and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. If you go back to the last couple of verses that Chance preached on last week, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 11, Verse 47, it was revealed that these laws, these uncleanness purity laws, 
were given so that Israel could learn how to distinguish between that which is clean and that which is unclean. That's what all of these chapters are about, 11 through 15. And it was the job of the priests to turn around and teach these laws as the last verse that Bobby Jean read for us this morning so that Israel would be able to keep separate from their cleanness. So you see God's grace here. Uncleanness separates you from me. I don't want you to be separated from me. So here's chapters 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. So you can learn how to distinguish between clean and unclean so that you would then know that which separates you from me and so that when you find yourself separated from me, you wouldn't stay there and then you would then turn to me to find the cleansing that you need. Why? Keep separate from your uncleanness, the priests would teach, lest you die in your uncleanness by coming before God in his tabernacle and finding yourself killed. That's what Pastor John Kleinschmidt preached about, if you remember, Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10. You see, a person such as a leper who was declared ceremonially unclean because of their skin disease, they were excluded from worship at the tabernacle. If they took their uncleanness lightly, if God said, this is what separates you from me, and that person was like, I don't really care. I'm going to march right in before a holy God in my state of impurity, in my state of unholiness, in my state of uncleanness. If they took this uncleanness lightly and came before a holy God in that state of uncleanness, it would result in their death. So God says in Leviticus 15, why? Well, because that's what holiness does. Holiness destroys unholiness. Holiness can have nothing to do with unholiness. Like light, which eradicates darkness, the pure and perfect purity of a holy God must eradicate impurity when in its midst. So in order to help his people learn about their uncleanness and his holiness, Yahweh says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to help you learn this truth by declaring skin disease, leprous skin disease. This is what makes people unclean. The idea behind declaring skin disease unclean is so that people could learn to see their uncleanness with their eyes. You might ask the question, like, how come he didn't say if you have a headache, you're unclean? Or how come if you have heart disease, you're unclean? He could have, but he didn't. God, with his divine prerogative, said, I'm going to, be able, I'm going to teach you something. So that when you look at your skin, the physical world, and you see that flesh-eating, leprous skin disease beginning to deteriorate and cause this limb to die, I want you to use your eyes and look at this physical reality and begin to draw some spiritual truths from it. God was doing this, declaring skin disease unclean so that people could see not just physical truths, but spiritual truths from it as well. You see, it was this physical reality of skin disease. It carries a very important spiritual lesson. Not only does my physical uncleanness separate me from God, but the deeper issue is that my spiritual uncleanness 
separates me from God. Not only am I a physical leper, but ultimately I am a spiritual leper. Yes, my skin disease makes me ceremonially unclean, and as such, I must go around crying out, unclean, unclean, for as long as I have the disease, because it's true. According to God, I am unclean because of this physical skin disease. But deeper still, as I look at my arm and I see the skin disease, and it makes me unclean before a holy God, my sin makes me morally unclean. I'm sinful from the time my mother conceived me, Psalm 51. And as such, I, might cry, I must cry out as the lepers did. I am spiritually unclean, spiritually unclean. My heart is unclean. My life is unclean. All my righteous acts that I might be able to think I can come and present before God are like filthy rags stained because I am unclean. Friends, If you get nothing else from chapters such as the chapters before us, what you need to understand is this. Your, my, spiritual condition is desperate. It's desperate. Spiritually unclean. Unable to cleanse ourselves. Much like the flesh-eating rot of leprosy, will kill me physically if it is left unchecked. So the soul-eating rot of sin will kill me spiritually if it is left unchecked. Thus God in His kindness impressed upon His people the reality of their spiritual uncleanness through something such as skin disease. But herein lies the good news found in chapters like Leviticus 12 through 15. For these chapters were given by God to remind us that if my spiritual sin condition is to be cleansed, then here is what I need. I need someone to do for me what I cannot do for myself. I need someone who is pure to purify me. I need someone who is holy to cleanse me of my unholiness. I need him who is perfect purity incarnate to come and wash me clean of my sin, purifying me from all unrighteousness. And praise be to God, that's exactly what we find when you roll out of chapter 13 right into chapter 14, where we discover point number two, that God alone, God alone provides the spiritual cleansing that I need. God provides the spiritual cleansing that I need. In chapter 14, Moses reveals God's plan for how someone cured of their skin disease can come to the priest and receive the cleansing that they need. That's the whole part of verse or a chapter 14 that was a little weird. Do you remember that part? Someone comes, two birds, you kill one over a pot. He's like dipping the bird that's alive like seven times under the water, and he's like sprinkling people with bloody water, cedar wood and hyssop and scholar. You're like, what in the world is going on here? There's a picture of the gospels going on there is what's happening. See, to purify the person who is now cured, skin disease, 
no longer there. The priest would look, examine them, and discover it is true, you have been cured. And so the priest would then order, you need to bring two live, clean birds and bring them to me. One bird was killed over a clay pot that had fresh water in it. When you kill something, it bleeds. The blood from that now dead bird was to drip into the pot, and that pot was now full of water that was bloody, bloody water. The blood of the dead bird dipped into the water. It was turned it red. Then the priest would take that second bird, still alive, and he would dip that bird then into the water. He would take cedar wood, dip it into that bloody water, scarlet yarn, and hyssop, and then sprinkle the man with the blood and the water seven times, pronouncing him at the end, you are now clean. Not only cured, but now clean. The live bird, which had been dipped seven times into the blood and the water, was then set free in the open fields. He would turn around and let him go, and off he would fly. As the man who was restored to health watched the bird fly away, the imagery that would be sinking into his heart, into his mind, would be this. He would know that just like that bird, he is now cleansed by blood, he has been cleansed by water, and he is now free to live and move again wherever he wished to go. After the cleansing, this man must shave his head, wash his clothes, bathe himself. Then he was considered clean and could return back to the community. Cured, cleansed by the water and the blood. You see, at first glance, this ceremony comes off as really weird. Yeah? Does it just land on anyone else a little weird? Like I was reading and reading. I'm like, what, what on earth is going, going on here, right? What you need to know is that even though this ceremony comes off as really weird and it's not what we do today, it is what God prescribed though, and so people walked in obedience to God at that time. What you need to notice is that even in the midst of all of maybe some of the confusing details, what you need to know is that all the details orbit around two things. the orbit around the water and the blood. The water and the blood. Friends, it all comes down to this. The cleansing of the man with blood and water was necessary because it proclaimed the need for a Savior. Proclaimed the need for a Savior. This ceremony prepared the man to see that it was not him cleansing himself. It was not him curing himself, but it was provision solely from God. It was God's provision of the water. It was God's provision of the blood that had the power to cleanse his uncleanness. Thus, the cleansing of the man with blood and water served as a shadowy preview pointing to the perfect cleansing that was eventually going to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. So all you have to do is flash forward from Leviticus 14 and you jump into the fourth gospel of the New Testament, the gospel according to John. And there the apostle John records that after Jesus died and he's hanging on the cross, a soldier comes up to Christ, pierces his side with a spear and at once came out blood and water. 
Later, this same apostle would write a letter to some Christians. And as he was writing a letter to some Christians, he told us that the blood and the water that poured out from Christ's side were witnesses for us, he says. These witnesses, the blood and the water, were pouring out their testimony that Jesus is the one in whom we receive complete cleansing for our sins. He says, for there are three that testify, says the apostle in that, that letter. There are three things that testify. Testify to what? Testify that Christ is the one with the power to cleanse us sinners from our sin. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. These are the three testimonies. And he says these three agree. And this is the testimony. What testimony? The Spirit comes and says when you behold the Christ, when you behold what he accomplished on the cross, you can know when he said it is finished and that blood and that water poured out, that was a testimony telling us that it truly is finished. He has done what is needed so sinners can be cleansed, period, full stop. That's the testimony of the, blood, the water and the blood, says the Apostle John. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. This is the testimony that life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. How do we know? Look to the water and the blood. Thus, it makes complete sense for that exact same apostle to open up that very first letter we were just referencing by telling us that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That if we, sinners, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to what? Cleanse. There it is. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Where does that cleansing language come from as it relates to Jesus? Where does that purifying, washing language of Jesus' blood come from? It comes from the chapters lying in front of you on your lap in Leviticus 12, 13, 14, and 15. In Leviticus, but notice this. In Leviticus, the priests were impotent to do one thing. They could not cure you and cleanse you. They only had the power to cleanse the priests had the power to cleanse a leper, but they had no power to cure a leper. But enter our great high priest, enter Jesus Christ himself, and what we find in the great high priest is one who has both the power to cure and the power to cleanse. If you jump again into the New Testament, you go specifically into Mark's gospel, you Enter into the very first chapter in Mark's gospel. He tells us a leper came to Jesus. So here comes the leper. Skin disease on his body. Flesh is literally rotting. He's dying as his own skin is killing him. And this leper would know the law of God. 
unclean, unclean. You don't have anything to do with me. Don't come and touch me because I will make you unclean. Don't have anything to do with me until I have been made clean. But this leper comes to Jesus and it says it came to, he came to Jesus imploring him. He didn't come to Jesus sort of with a, well, aw, shucks, you know, I guess some people can do things and some can't, and maybe you have the power to cleanse, but he didn't do that. He didn't come passively. He came imploring him, begging him, running to the Lord Jesus in humility. Mark says he kneeled before him, and he looks to Jesus, and he says this, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will. This wasn't the leper doubting Jesus, you know, if you will, and maybe you won't. This is, this is heart language. He's like, listen, I know your heart for the sick. I know your heart for the impure. I know your heart for the unclean. I know your heart for the unholy. I need your cleansing. Is your heart truly what I think it is? Because if it is, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, you're exactly right. This is my heart and I'm going to speak a command, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Move forward four chapters into Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, Mark records for us that a woman who had a discharge of blood, that's Leviticus 15 language now that we're treading in, had a discharge of blood for 12 years, heard the reports about Jesus. What reports was she hearing? I can guarantee you she's hearing reports about someone like a leper. Unclean being made clean. She would know from Leviticus 15, I am unclean because of this issue I've been suffering with for 12 years. I've been considered unclean. Hers the reports about Jesus came up behind him in the crowd. Remember, touches his garment. And Mark records that immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So this is Jesus cleansing the leper healing, curing someone with a disease, and then right on the tail end of that, you remember the reason why Jesus is even in that part of the country is because a man named Jairus has a daughter. Jairus's daughter has died, like dead, dead, completely, completely dead. Coming to Jesus, begging Jesus to do something before she dies. She dies. Jesus goes to the little girl, and Mark says that as Jesus saw this little girl dead, took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. It seems like a throwaway piece of of information in each of those three interactions with Jesus. But did you notice what Jesus did in each of those three interactions? What did he do? He touched. He touched. In each of these instances, according to Leviticus, touching the leper, according to Leviticus 13, would make you unclean, so you didn't touch a leper. Being touched by the woman with the issue of blood, according to Leviticus 15, would have made Jesus ceremonially unclean. We're going to learn in Leviticus 22 that you don't go around touching dead bodies because when you touch a dead body, you make yourself unclean. 
Each of these instances should have made Jesus unclean, but in each of these instances, it was the exact opposite. Instead of Jesus touching the leper and his leprosy making clean Jesus unclean, Jesus touches the leper and his cleanliness invades that uncleanliness and eradicates it. Same with the woman, same with the dead little girl. And what you see in each of these instances is this, that the expulsive power of our great high priest cleanses the unclean and cures the people of disease and cures them of death. It's why we sing the hymn, What can wash away my sin? That's cleansing language. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? That's curing language. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sing those hymns, not because we just need to fill some time in a worship service with some words. We sing hymns such as that because there is the expulsive power of Christ's blood, water, witness. He is the one to not only cleanse, but he is the one who has the power to cure. So when you pull all of this together from Leviticus 12 through 15, what we find is that in Jesus, the ceremonial law is now obsolete. In Jesus, we find the fulfillment of all that was foreshadowed in Leviticus. In Jesus, we find the one who has the power both to heal the body and cure the soul. So the question that you have to ask yourself is this, has Jesus healed you of your sin disease? Has Jesus healed you of your sin disease? Has he cleansed you from your sin? It's not an issue of am I sick or am I not sick. All of us come into this world with the sin disease of sin separating us from a holy God. If you are here today and you can say, yes, Jesus has healed me of my sin disease. Yes, Jesus has cleansed me from my sin. Then my encouragement would be here in a moment when we respond, I would say respond with rejoicing. Respond with rejoicing. When was the last time you just flat out rejoiced with exuberance at the reality that Jesus did not look at you and say, you're unholy, you're impure, you're unclean. Cleanse yourself and then come back to me and then we'll talk. Jesus did not do that. Jesus looked at us, had pity on us, came and touched us, loved us went to the cross for us, for me, so that I might be cleansed and made pure and made holy and made right with a living God so that I might be in a right relationship with him. When was the last time you just stopped and marinated in that truth and it caused you to rejoice in worship? My encouragement can be is this. If that is you here this morning, let the time of response be that for you. But maybe you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, I don't know about this whole Jesus stuff. The Jesus stuff feels a little zany. I mean, we're talking about like dead birds and pots of like watery blood. and all. Like what is going on all on here? My encouragement would be, be patient. If you've heard truth this morning, ask God to help you make that truth to make sense. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're like, yeah, I don't need that time for him to help me make this make sense. Like, it's making sense right now. What you need to know is that today can be the day where you say to Jesus, like the leper in Mark 1, Jesus, 
I'm convinced if you will, you can make me un- you can make me clean. Only to hear Jesus say to you in reply, Oh, I'm I will. I'm very happy. Be clean. Jesus, if you desire, is it your heart's desire to cleanse someone like me of my sin? You don't know what I've done, to which Jesus laughs a little because he knows exactly what you've done. He knows your guilt. He knows your shame. He knows your sin, but he's not grossed out by it. And he's very happy to come and to save. Desire, says Jesus, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. I came so that my life blood, the water from my side, would serve as proof positive. I have the power to cleanse you from sin stain. Hear me, I will. My desire is to save someone such as you. And hear him joyfully declare, be clean. Has that happened to you? Jesus Has he healed you of your sin disease? Jesus, has he cleansed you from your sin? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, many words were spoken today. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, I am positive in his ability to take a truth from all that was heard today and to stick that truth home, as it were make everything else fade. But for that truth that we needed to hear and respond to, to remain. Holy Spirit, would you do this even now? Would you help those who've heard the word preached this morning to walk in obedience to you in whatever way that looks like? Why? Not for the fame or the name of Delta or anyone here, but solely for the fame and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, be magnified. Cleanse and save many today and cause those who've been cleansed saved to rejoice. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen.